James chapter 4, verse 7. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Let me read that one more time in case the enemy didn't want you to hear it. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. I believe this sermon is going to be life transforming. Could be community transforming, region transforming, if we do what God has asked in His Word. Scripture tells us, and Jesus has told us over and over again, you cannot serve two masters. can't serve God and mammon. Or mammon would be anything that's not God or that you put ahead of God. You cannot go halfway into a living faith. Faith without works is dead. Therefore, it has to be a living faith with works. And those works glorify God, not ourselves. God is looking for people who will love Him. Plain and simple. Those who are all in when it comes to His Son, Jesus. Now today I want to ask you, is there somebody today willing to draw a line in the sand and tell the devil, no more. Are you one? Are you one willing to do that? Are you one willing to tell God, I'm all in with you. I serve no other. That question you will hear again. In James chapter 4, it says we are selfish. The beginning of the chapter talks about wars and fights coming because we ask for the wrong things for the wrong reasons. We don't know how to ask properly for the right things. And then he says this great passage, humble yourself before the Lord and He will lift you up. And He resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And that's when he says this verse, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The first step though is humble yourself before God. Because God gives grace to the humble. Now, I don't want to belabor that at all, but grace comes when you find yourself in a humble situation before God. Basically saying, you're God, I'm not, I need your grace, I can't live without it. I'm hopeless and helpless without you. This is the cry of a humble heart. And therefore, it says to submit ourselves to God. And that implies that there are other things that we have been submitting ourselves to. Not God. When that happens, it's a problem. Because the devil gets free reign when you don't submit to God. Even if you only let him in a little bit, One little mosquito is enough to ruin a quiet room. Believe you me, the devil gets a little space. He'll annoy you tremendously and torment you any way he can. As long as you don't submit to God, he's happy. But for us, the devil has lied over and over. He is the father of all lies. He even said to Eve in the Garden of Eden, You will be like God. He will not kill you. You will know good and evil. 
Now I want to share something with you. And we're going to get to this, and it's in the bulletin that you have in front of you as well. That God says, I am the only God. There is no other. No other God. And Satan's trying to say to Eve in the garden, you'll be just like God. But God doesn't want that. He wants His glory for Himself and for us to honor Him and submit to Him and resist the devil and his lies that say we can be like God. We're going to talk a little bit about what that's like to be like God in a few moments. But first I want to draw your attention to a prophet in the Old Testament that talks about what happens when the devil gets a foothold. In the book of Joel, there has been an utter devastation for Israel. Four different kinds of locusts attack at once. Everything edible has been eaten by them. All the grass, the grain, the people are starving, the cattle and all livestock have nothing to eat, no grain, and they are desperate. Everything has been consumed. The people are afraid because they have nothing to eat, nothing to feed their livestock, and nothing stored up that wasn't destroyed by the locusts. The harvest you usually store a little for later. That was gone also. Yet, in the midst of this struggle, in Joel chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, he says, I sent the problem. You think that might be a problem? I think it's a problem we don't realize sometimes God creates the problem so we know that the problem is our problem, not His problem. I'll get you that that means in a moment. It says, Lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the husband of her youth. The grain offering and the drink offering have been cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn who minister to the Lord. Now what it's saying is that there is nothing to give God. So get in sackcloth and begin to repent because God's house has nothing brought in. Nobody has anything. But in verse 13, it goes on to say, Gird yourselves and lament, you priests. Wail, who minister before the altar. Come, lie all night in sackcloth, you who minister to my God. Why? For the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. The first thing that disappears... When times get tough, are our gifts to God. He becomes a bottom of the list priority when things are lean. Has been for years. But God has promised if we will keep Him first and His house, His temple, His work priority, He will make sure that you get yours. You know, our math and God's math don't work the same. I'll, I'll be very clear about this. My wife wanted us to tithe when we got married and I didn't think we could afford it. Guys, I'm not saying that the ladies like to do tithing more than us, but I think they do. That they want us to be obedient more than we want to be obedient because we like to, shall we say, figure out where the money goes. Well, I was resistant, and we struggled for several years early in the marriage, floundering. And one day, I, she, God put it on my heart, put me first, I'll take care of the rest. And we started to tithe and give offerings. 
And from that point on, we had more. I don't understand that. If I've added something else to the budget line, in, in regular math, you have less left over. But if you put God first in the budget line, you have more left over. I don't understand that. It's not our, it's not our math. It doesn't work. God's ways are higher than ours. He does stuff and I don't know how He does it. But if we're obedient, God blesses. If we're not obedient, then we should be grieving because God isn't getting what should be the first fruit. And, and, and i got to tell you that that's what was happening with Israel. They were not giving God the offering. So God said, if you're not going to give me mine, why should I give you yours? And He sent the locusts. God sent, He sent them like a destroying army. He got their attention, didn't He? Now they're mad <laughs> because they got nothing to eat and God should be blessing them, but they weren't blessing God. But this is how we think. God, why should I bless you if you're not going to bless me? And you've taken away, now I'm really mad at you, when we weren't given to God in the first place. And this is what was happening with them. It seems, though, in this 13th verse, that the ones who desire to serve God fully have to repent and weep before God because the nation itself refused to give God first fruits. And so, in chapter 2, Oh, that rough chapter 2. God calls a fast. (laughs) If you don't have any food, it's not hard to fast. (laughs) Well, that's how He got them to fast. He took away all their food. They did not fast before that. They refused. If you won't fast, God will make sure you do. He wants His people to fast regularly. doesn't say how often, but regularly. They would not fast. And God says, I'm calling you a fast, and if there's anything you would going to eat, give that to my house. And do that. In chapter 2, verses 12 to 14, he says, Turn to God then with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Rend your heart, not your garments. Return to God, for He's gracious and merciful slow to be angry and has great kindness and he relents from doing harm. You see, God doesn't want His people to starve. And who knows? It says, who knows? <laughs> we don't know if God will relent or not and leave a blessing behind. And listen to the blessing. A grain offering and a drink offering to give back to Him. Now you go, wait a minute. I'm fasting and God might bless me with something to give back to Him. Yes, but He's not requiring at all. He's only asking for 10%. He's giving you enough to give Him some too. We don't look at it like that. We look at it like it's ours. (laughs) I've never seen a hearse with a U-Haul on the top or a cargo trailer behind it. And then God says, once you have the ability to give that grain and drink offering, that He will restore. And you will know that only God could have done it. And that's verse 27. He is the Lord your God. You shall know I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God 
and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. Shame means starving with a loving God. Thirsty in a fertile ground with a God who can create water out of a rock. My people will not be ashamed of me. God is the Lord God, Jehovah Jireh, the provider, Jehovah Rapha, the healer. He is El Shaddai, El Elyon, Adonai. He is the Lord your God and there is no other. Will you today draw a line and say, I refuse to withhold from God. Another prophet, Isaiah, says we are called to speak the truth and to bring justice. A lot of people ascribe these verses to Jesus. I believe they are ascribed to all God's children. And he says, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. Listen to this. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. Now when you hear that word justice, it sounds like they're going to get what's due them. But the Gentiles are excluded from God's kingdom at this point. Justice for the Gentiles means they're going to get God when they had not had access. Justice means everybody gets God, not just some people. The Gentiles were excluded. So that's not justice. You understand what I'm saying? There are people who were not a part of God's family, kingdom. And the Israelites all saw everybody who was not a Hebrew as not a part of God's kingdom. And He said, My one whom in my soul delights is going to tell the ones who are not accessible to Me, you have access. That's fair. That's justice to them. Otherwise, they have no hope. And that's not justice by a loving God. But he goes on to say a little bit more about that in verse 2. He will not cry out. This is the one who is sent. Nor raise his voice. Nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. That means he's not going to create a rebellion. Instead, a bruised reed he will not break. And smoking flax he will not quench. He's not putting out the fire. He will bring forth justice for truth. That means the flame, the flame of God into a fire for the Gentile. Which you and I, by the way, are. We get justice. It means we get access to God through Jesus Christ. I like that. What is justice but getting one who is hopeless to have hope again? This one who loves God will not fail or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastland shall wait for his law. That means the people on the coast who are seen as fishermen and lower on the social status are going to have access as well. All of us. He goes on to say in verse 5, Thus says the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, which gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. In verse 6, this is what he says, I have called you to righteousness. And in righteousness, and God says, I will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentile. That covenant is God has made an agreement that He's going to keep. 
that no matter what you do, God has set up that you will be successful in taking His Word and His light and His hope to the people around you who do not know God, who are hopeless and without Christ. This means you will be a light to the others. Even Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Where do you think He got it from? From Isaiah 6, 42.6. And He says, You will open blind eyes, praise the Lord, Jerry, to bring out prisoners from the prison. Those who sit in darkness from their prison house, setting captives free. And listen to this. I am the Lord. That is My name. My glory I will not give to anybody else, nor my praise to carved images. That my glory I will not give to another is exactly what the serpent was tempting Eve with in the Garden of Eden. To be like God. To share His glory. God says, I will not give it to another. Do you draw a line? Do you dare to draw a line in the sand and tell God, I choose only you today? Isaiah, still speaking a few chapters later, talks to you and he says, I've called you by name. I have given you your name. He has also named you. There is no other God. None. You've been taught to believe that we have choices. You have choices. After all, it says in Scripture, choose this day whom you will serve. I said before you life and death, says the Lord. Choose this day life. Jesus is life. Everything else that is not God in your choice is death and destruction. Invites the enemy in. And the enemy has found access in all of our lives. So he says, For the sake of Jacob my servant, of Israel my chosen, I summon you by name, I call you by name, and bestow on you a title of honor, the child of God, though you did not acknowledge me. And in verse 5 it says, I am the Lord, maybe you've heard this, and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. Don't care what they call Buddha, Baal, uh, Muhammad. I don't care what they call it. There is no other God. I will strengthen you, though you have not known me or acknowledged me, so that from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, you may know there is none beside me. He repeats, I am the Lord and there is no other. Amen? God is life. Everything else is death. He has the ability to raise the dead, to heal the sick, to change time. You might think because you have freedom, you can choose your own path in life and find your own peace and happiness without God or without Jesus Christ. And people may have said, you know, it just makes sense. You can have Jesus. Or have a life of your own choosing other than God but you cannot serve yourself. You make yourself God by doing that. There is only one God, and His glory He will not give away. That's why He has lots of enemies. 
<laughs> they want His glory, and He's not having it. Are you willing today to draw a line in the sand and say, I forsake myself and my selfish desires to serve God first and foremost? If so, the Lord says, I'll restore the years and repair every wounded place in your life. Your enemies, your emotions, excuse me, will be healed and your soul will be restored. Your enemies will be devoured. God says, I will destroy the strongholds, the old mindsets and painful memories that you carry with you and lament. The turmoil that you're experiencing even now in your life is uncovering the plans of the enemy that need to be revealed where he's gotten space in there. Every area that you allow God to take possession of will become fruitful. Those of you who have been through horrendous years in your past will be totally set free. Only God can do that. There is nothing on earth that can provide that. God says, I will pour fresh oil, healing oil, not black oil, but the healing oil to heal your broken hearts and bind up your wounds mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. He says, ask for me for wisdom and I will give it to you. This is called becoming submissive to God. Humbling ourselves. God, please, give me wisdom. I need it. Give me healing. Restore me, God. I thought that I could make it, but I need more of you and less of what I have. God says, allow me to renew your mind and cleanse your heart. His goodness will go before you in a victory that you've not yet ever known. You see, the enemy tries to tell you this is the best it gets. <laughs> that you can't do what the Bible says you can do and you can't have what God says you already have. But God is in the business of restoration. It's His job. He delights to take the broken, the stained, the spoiled, and the devastate and transform them into a new creation that pleases and honors Him. You may have been devoured by an army who moved on you to consume everything. Maybe you've lost everything. I have a few times. It's not fun. It's like, God, where are you? And no matter how many times I tried to resist, and maybe you the same tried to resist, and it just kept coming. More. Bad news after bad news. Devastation. Brokenness. Your home, once like a garden full of peace and love, soon devoured in a desert land. Not even a quiet place of rest there. God planned for you a life of satisfaction, of joy, usefulness, peace. But those wicked forces worked hard to rob you of your peace, your prosperity, your hope, and your purpose. And it whispered in your ear, you got to look out for you first. Times of deep sadness follow. Maybe even depression. I've had it. Know what it's like. The valley of the shadow deprives you. You don't know how to get out of bed sometimes or what to do or why and your motivation goes away. And this leaves scars. And they remain. And those scars keep saying it happened once, it'll happen again. I can't get out of this hole. Maybe you fell back and compromised. 
Maybe you sinned and it got a hold of you and you became preoccupied with other things rather than the first things of God's holiness and His holy kingdom. And maybe you feel like you failed Him. Maybe you feel like you failed yourself. And you failed others. Locusts have been busy in your life. And they don't take any chances. They take it all. In the landscape, you look over your life and your experiences and your joy and it's scarred like some battlefield. Hoping one day maybe, maybe God could, but just don't know. Wouldn't you love to get back those years? To get back what the enemy's taken away? If so, you're in God's territory now. You can't reclaim it though, and that's the good news. God restores it for you. He can resolve those dark places of doubt, fear, and questioning. And I'm asking today, will you draw a line in the sand today and say, God, will you please? Will you please? You see, there are deep rut marks in our lives where Satan made inroads in our spiritual life. They happen in churches, they happen in families, communities, nations, regions. His favorite harassment is to bring up your past, to scare you and tell you, this is who you are. Why change? You can't change. The fact is, you can't change yourself. But we try. You ever heard that? The old me's gone. I'm be a new man starting today. That lasts about till January third. <laughs> if you started on January first, so Satan will bring up an old addiction or a lust that's going to rise up, and he'll persuade you that that's going to happen again, and you're going to go back to being the same person. You go, well, I failed again. Why should I try? But i got to tell you something. You don't know this. If you don't know that, learn this today. In God's eyes, your past is a dead issue. It's forgiven. It's gone. Whoever brings that up against you is not your friend. Whoever tries to hold it in your face and shake and say, this is what you are, you can say, you don't know me or my Father. Get behind me. Get behind me. Access denied to my past. Satan, leave me alone. Take those old wounds and let God restore the years that were taken away. God delights to restore. Only God can. He who reforms the clay and made you out of clay welcomes the prodigal and transforms the ugliness of a cross of sacrifice and crucifixion, capital punishment, into the glory of a symbol of forgiveness. I've heard people say, why do we show a capital punishment sign as our witness to Jesus Christ? A sign of shame. It's because there's victory over it. It's a sign of the brokenness that we've overcome in Jesus Christ. It is an electric chair in modern day time. It is lethal injection. It is a sign of death for the ones who die on it. But for the ones who see that that death brought their life, it is a symbol of victory. Freedom. I'm asking you, will you draw a line in the sand and tell Satan, no more access today or ever. Access 
denied to my past. The thief says Jesus comes to kill, steal, and destroy. God didn't want you invaded by thieves, but it happens. They don't come honestly. They come deceptively. I'm asking you today to draw a line in the sand and say, enough is enough. I'm sick and tired of the devil winning. I bet you are too. I can't stand it. Today I tell him, you can't have my home. I'm taking back my spiritual authority from wherever it went. As head of my home, you cannot have my children, nor their health, nor their mind, nor their emotions. You have no right to them. Access denied to my children. I'm taking back my mind and my emotions and the depression that has ravaged me. Satan, you're not welcome in my emotions. Access denied. You've worn out your welcome a long time ago. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. He finally got denied out of our finances years ago when we began to be faithful. He began to see a work in us and He ran scampering. We've seen fruitful ministry. Brought me back to ministry. Brought this church back to a vibrant ministry together. And, and I'm excited about that. And I'm telling Satan, you don't have access to this church. You don't have access to the people that would condemn it or, or look down upon it. The only way that people get in here is by being invited and you're not welcome anymore. It is a battle, but I'm done fighting the enemy. I'm resisting as James 4.7 says. And he will flee. The question is, will you join me? Are you ready to be done with the mess? Are you ready for the enemy to stop taking your friends, your family hostage? Well, I'm asking us to do that together today. And what I want you to do is take a few moments right now to do a little inventory. Now, maybe during some of the things I've said, that you might have thought of a couple things or more than that where God has not been allowed access, but the enemy surely has done some damage. Maybe you've seen total annihilation. Maybe you've seen hopelessness and depression. And maybe you've seen loved ones that won't come to God. Maybe you've seen that. And maybe that's what you're thinking about. But I'm asking you to ask God to bring some things to your mind where the devil clearly stole something from you that God wanted you to have and promised it to you. Maybe it was a a relationship with a close friend and it's gone. Maybe it's money you're supposed to receive that wound up in somebody else's hands. Maybe it was a loved one who's been stolen and taken captive by the enemy. Scripture says very clear, we have the authority to bring justice, which is God's presence and light, to each of those situations. And you ask me how? It took me a while to understand how. I want to do something creative. That God just simply said, let's pray. Let's pray together. And I've printed for you a prayer that I wrote this week in the bulletin. It's inside the flap. I'm going to read this prayer to you. 
It says, Lord Jesus, You said the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Because I am selfish, I allowed the enemy access. And he has stolen from me. I know now his only desire is to destroy me. I repent for walking in foolish pride. Please forgive me. Jesus, in your name I say to the enemy, the Lord rebuke you. In Jesus' name you must give back what you have taken. My goods, my relationships, my health, and my family, none of it belongs to you. Although I have allowed it in the past, starting today, access is denied to you, to my home, to my mind, to my family, and to my relationship with Jesus Christ. Your business is done here. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. Thank you for not letting the enemy defeat me. I choose you. Help me to be faithful. Do you understand that God wants us to come before Him and acknowledge that we've allowed some of this to happen by not choosing God? We've allowed lack of forgiveness, bitterness, thinking that, well, you know, people won't like me if I tell them about God. They might think I'm crazy. They might think I'm a fanatic. But God has sent you to bring justice. And He's declaring a fast in your life that you're not having a whole lot of spiritual success until you start start doing those things. He's called us to a task as a church. And often, we look more at the life of the church than the mission of it. But today, I'm asking you to look at the life of it. Where it's headed. Where you're headed. And is the road you're on getting where God has intended you to go? Have you found peace? Have you found serenity? Have you found joy? Or have other things crept in that have taken all that away and you just didn't know how? Let me tell you how this works. That invasion of locusts The first one came along. This is just one. And they let it alone. Or maybe they tried to kill the one. And another one came and they said, well, I'll kill that one. And you end up killing like flies. You know, like you kill one, twenty, kill up later. And after a while you realize, I don't know where the first one came from, but now I can't keep them out. And that's how this works. You let one compromise happen and everything else gets compromised in your life. Gradually. Until finally, you don't even know where you were in relation to God anymore. Can't figure out how to pray. Or how to tell Him that you don't even know how to tithe. Or to give. Or to love. Or to serve anymore. And the worst part about it is, the people around you say, that's normal. And it's okay. A friend of mine said this week, There were well-wishers said, you don't need a Bible. You don't need to be loving others. You don't need this stuff. It's not helped you so far. That's a lie to the enemy. Straight to our face. But I want you to know that the thing that weeps and breaks God's heart the most is when His people don't feel like they ought to give Him anything. Their time, tithe, talent, their prayers. 
It breaks God's heart, so He has to get our attention. Israel was so bad, He took every last bit of food. Oh, I didn't get you to the good verses where He says, by the way, where the land was devastated, there's a new crop coming. I didn't show you those verses because we got to stay in the repentance before the new day comes. We have to get before God and say, God, I'm sorry. I have chosen other things. I believe that my choices were better than yours for me and I'm sorry. Please, forgive me. Why? Because if you don't have God on your side, you can't fight the enemy. And you can't tell the Satan to get behind you if you're still in agreement with other than God. Because you can't serve two masters. And the locusts will continue to eat until God is your King and Lord. In your bulletin, I put a statement of truth. I wrote that for this very day, as you can see. Today, August 28, I choose to serve only Jesus and follow only Him. Satan has no power over me. In that relationship, he can't touch you. He was defeated at Calvary. That victory has sealed his fate. He's not welcome in my home, my family, my life, my mind, my church, my town, my heart, or my community. Today, in Jesus' name, his access is denied. But you can't do it in Jesus' name if you haven't got all in with Jesus. And some of us need to do that today to get right back into that right relationship. Some of us don't understand what that means real well, but it's not too late to start. Just because you don't know doesn't mean the enemy won't take advantage of that. He's saying, oh, you don't know, don't do it. That's scary, don't do it. I was afraid to preach this message. But God put it on my heart and I said, when my daughter got up here a few weeks ago and was weeping before you, telling her this stuff's real, I said, I'm done, Satan. I'm sick of seeing my family hurt. I'm sick of seeing people frustrated and scared for no purpose when the enemy should not be having access. And so this day, I don't know about you, but I got a line. It's not in the sand, but it's on the paper. And if you're willing to draw a line in the sand, I've drawn a line on the paper for you. For you, I'm not asking you to give this to anybody. It's for you. Between you and God. And then you just put your name there if this is your truth. But you need to say the prayer first. Because you need to be in the right relationship. This statement of truth isn't true until you're all in with Jesus. And that's a fact. And until you're all in with Jesus, I want to be very clear about this, and this breaks my heart. But if you're not all in with Jesus Christ, access is not denied to the enemy in your life. He can meddle and destroy, and he won't do a whole lot for you because he can't bless what won't be given to him. It's said very clearly in Scripture, every part of your life that you give to Jesus, he will make fruitful. Fruitful. There will be blessing. Fruitful means prayers answered. Fruitful means your children will find the prosperity. The blessing will go from your generation to the next to the next. If you're all in. And if you're all in, you can look at Satan in the midst of his fires and say, I'm sorry, buddy. You're not my friend. Access denied. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, You said the thief comes only to steal, to kill and destroy. But because I'm selfish, I allowed the enemy access. 
and He has stolen from me. I know now His only desire is to destroy me. I repent for walking in foolish pride. Please forgive me. Jesus, in Your name I say to the enemy, the Lord rebuke you. In Jesus' name you must give back what you've taken. My goods, my relationships, my health, and my family, especially my children. None of it belongs to you. Although I've allowed it in the past, starting today, access is denied to you, to my home, to my mind, to my family, and to my relationship with Jesus Christ. Your business is done here, and it's done here in this church. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. Thank you for not letting the enemy defeat me. I choose you. Help me to be faithful. And I pray this morning that each person here would be able to go all in with you and choose you. Regardless of fear, anxiety, or stress over that decision, over that choice, because the result of it is the greatest peace and blessing we could ever know. To have enough and more. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.